Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans Judd Borco, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. It is amazing that our first podcast together is marked by, um, I think Matt put it well, which is it's very 2021 of us because I have COVID. Well, and it's a podcast too. And you're not dead. What do they call it? I, it's, it's a podcast, which is very 2021. That's true. And you have COVID. Very 2021. Yeah. There's, it's dead. three dudes. Three dudes. That might be 99. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, you know, that's a good point. Actually, how many, we should have the, uh, we should, have, we should do a lookup on how many podcasts have three dudes on them. I, oh, I, don't, I mean, a lot of the in the top 20. I mean, it's it's crazy. Anyway, hey, by the way, I Matt, I had this surprise one for Judd to start this off. The okay. one you and I ask everyone. Make oh. sure I ask this correctly. Judd, are you ready? So you're gonna be on a desert island or not a deserted island the rest of your life, but you get to choose one thing to eat every day for the rest of your life. And there's no health considerations, it's whatever you would enjoy eating the rest of your life. What would that be? Yeah, you get to stay your same ripped Judd self. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, by the way, that's why I threw it in. Judd is so ripped that I thought he was going to answer, well, I need my proteins, right, to reach this level and like whatever. But no, no, uh, forget all that. Okay. You'll still be ripped. You'll be able to deadlift comp competitions with Matt via Zoom. <laughs> um, and then, um, but yeah, what, what would that food be? Give me one of two directions. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have it, and I, and maybe this is not considered part, but I have this kava bowl that I go get all the time that I love, and I love that they have the pickled onion. Not everybody loves this, but I'm like, pour it on, and they're like staring at me, and they keep going, and the thing is like piled this high, and then I eat it all, and they're like, this guy's fucking crazy. Um, it's either got to be that or the steak and potato meal, because, man, I love me some steak and potatoes. All right. Well, you surprised us on answer number one. I mean, Matt, I don't know about you, but that's definitely not one we've heard before. Well, common bowls is just not popular in California. It's not here yet, but it's all over the East Coast and anybody who just loves it. I, I knew the guys when they started their first restaurant, it was just called Cava Mesa Grill or and, and it was like a little sit down place. And they rolled out the first one in Bethesda, Maryland. And then just got so much VC backing. I mean, I think they've raised like nearly two hundred million dollars. Yeah, and these like some some thick Greek dudes. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> there's some interesting guys. Well, I mean, that's okay. So basically, what you're saying is, um, one day I may understand this. Oh, I, yeah. When when you come in next, I'll take you for some. You'll be like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's uh, like Chipotle Mediterranean style. Wait, but Matt, I forgot what your answer was. Mine was carne asada burrito, SoCal style, maybe like a Roberto's, like a meat, primarily guacamole, less of all the other things for me. Also, the tortilla I will request from whoever it is that's delivering it to me every day for the rest of my life, uh, that the, the the tortilla has to be grilled nicely. Oh. Like it cannot be floury and like uncooked. 
All right. So I, I can't remember what my initial answer was, but I got sold hard on laurels like Mediterranean because I've been like just on this massive Nick the Greek kick for the last couple of uh, weeks. And it's just, you know, it's it's salad, but it's protein. It's fresh. It's delicious. It's filling. It's really what you want. He, he threw uh, the, yeah. the, like the healthy kind of thing. Like I was like. I By the way, I can only hope that people listen to this and put in their answer and we get surprised uh by the way i chose the least healthy yeah uh, yeah but it is a really good answer because I, I the thing about uh uh a carne asada burrito is i could eat it every day for sure and not get sick of it right well that's part of the thing is like yeah. you I gotta mean, be able to, yeah and so like judd like you're eating a kava bowl the rest of your life are you down with and with onions piled to the top you do you down with that. <laughs> that that was lunch today all right. Well, there you go. All right. So, um, well, this is, I'm so excited. This is, ex by the way, Judd, just so you know, part of this podcast is a combination of various people that I have conversations with all the time and rarely get to the point because I love hanging out with both of you guys. So it's great to see the, the mashup here, but we will, we will, we will get to some points here because we are supposed to talk B2B. Go to market. Wait, 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 wait. Food's not B2B. Uh, well, food is B2B. You got to eat in order to deliver. I feel like food is like the epitome of B2B, especially like back in the day with all the startups. It was like, which food should we have in the in the kitchen? And Actually, you know what? I, that, that's a twist. Wait, Matt, let me ask you this. You're back in the you're back in the swing of things. Do you guys order food in? We do. Yeah. We have food Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's how you get people to come back to the office. Give them stuff. Yeah, give do you have a food. Do you have a foosball table? We do. Is it a legit foosball table? Well, like, so here's I'm not I'm not a foosball connoisseur, so I can't really determine like the sophomoric foosball table from the legit foosball table. What I will say is we do have a very nice ping pong table. And I was gonna just ask, you have to have the ping pong if you got the foosball. So there you go. Yeah, you know that does that does become a distraction both from a noise perspective and like people just love to play it. So it's it's there, but it's not we're not encouraged to use it. Got it. Yeah. Do you, do you have sleep pods? No, thank God, no. <laughs> Although no, that, that brings up an interesting topic. Uh the Google Hotel for $99 a night for Google employees. Have you guys seen this? What? Oh, yeah. In an effort hey, are to you I'm dead serious, man. I'm dead serious. Uh, God, this, was, uh, this was sweeping the news the last couple of days in an effort to get people to return to the office. They are offering Google on their campus is offering uh, to stay in their hotel for 99 bucks a night, which I mean, calculating Bay Area rents like not a bad deal. I might stay there the whole month. <laughs> I mean, it's three, I mean, grand, it's a it's three grand a month if, if it's nice enough. Yeah, what the heck? I, I, I okay, okay. If anybody watches this and they see it, like, would you stay at a Google hotel indefinitely, or at yes. least? Oh, indefinitely. I got it. Got it. You I mean, at least like, hey, would you would you do like three or six months there? Sure. Wait, is it in Mountain View? Yeah, it's on their campus. Okay, well that that's a factor. I mean, it depends on your age, I think. But like, if you're, uh, well. I don't know. Are there activities? Like, is it like that's not Google campus before they have 
pool, volleyball court, full gym, full cafeteria, like everything that you would you it's know, need is there. Yeah. It's Google. Yeah. You know, they're going to have everything. They probably have like, I am like James Beard award winning chefs cooking yeah, the food. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Speaking right, of Beard, uh, what do you think? Would you stay in it? Judd yeah. or Matt? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Three, three, zero. You, three, you, zero you, Google you, Hotel. Yeah, you you know it's going to be nice. They don't do anything like half ass. So, yeah. Uh, so okay, let let's take that like Google. Uh, yeah, B two B B two C, whatever. Who are you most excited about right now? What they're doing, their messaging, what's going on right now? Like that you guys are seeing in the news, big company, small company, whatever. Talk. What what what's exciting you? What sounds interesting? Who's changed their messaging or their brand or something that's got you going? Because. I feel like I've been kind of, it's been lackluster for the last year and a half. It has. I mean, to me, it feels like the, um, the, the marketing department. And obviously as a marketer, I think a lot about marketing departments that's doing things really right. Uh, and absolutely crushing it is, uh, Denise Pearson's team at Snowflake. What? Hold on, Craig, how much were they charging? to be a part of their their conference what was entry oh i paid i paid it was expensive it was expensive okay but let's go back to the billboards because here's the thing judd it, it it's hard to tell right messaging pivots right now um uh because i'm actually just adjusting to how i consume uh messaging and information etc uh so you can get me with so what I was going to say before Matt went first purposely in order to preempt me was it's definitely the snowflake billboard because, yeah. but that has not new. Okay. That has rolled all the way through. The question is how long can they ride this? Because it it's unstoppable. I mean, I can't wait to see the next billboard. So like that to me, Judd, it almost answers your question three years ago and today because I don't think it stopped, but it's also partly because I don't, I'm not getting as much, you know, maybe, you know, Dreamforce is coming up, so I'll get a whole bunch of messaging changes and value, you know, value prop changes. But like, I would have to agree with Matt. My question though for Matt, and then I'm going to ask, well, Judd, you may not, do you guys have the Snowflake billboards in Atlanta? Nope. Oh, bro. Oh, yeah. bro. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. These things, they're on 101. Okay. So, you know, 101, you get off the, uh, you get out of the airport, it's about four billboards up from the airport, and they've been switching them. I don't know what, what frequency for years. And they're, they're cute. They're funny, but they're impactful and make the point. It's wild. Like yeah. it, the agency there is just, I mean, Denise obviously is a genius and, and we know she's one of the best CMOs of all time, but like, this is a, this is a, like batting what 900. Oh, so I, I mean, has there been a bad one? I, I'm, I mean, I, it's I unbelievable. Yeah. And the thing is, is you ask how long it can go on. I, the reality is probably for forever and I there's mean, no, so, there's no reason to change it. They can go forever. I mean, look at freaking uh, Chick-fil-A. They've been rolling with those those cows for, what, the last 12 years? And they still play. Yeah. 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 But I think, I mean, I think they're, you know, when you, when you think about 
a data warehouse and it's like, hey, we have basically infinite storage capability. Like people are going to be putting stuff in their cloud data warehouse from now until eternity. And I think Snowflake has about 8,000 customers. So if you just said like, hey, we're going to swap this once per month featuring a new customer, they've got 8,000 months worth. Uh, and I don't have 8,000 months worth of life left. <laughs> By the way, I have a twist for you too, Judd, which is because I, the, we've talked, me and Matt have talked about the billboards forever. Like it's just, it's been an, a, a wonder, but I have a twist, which is not answering your question, but is interesting, which is, I still think the best billboard campaign in tech of all time was dot, 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 Oracle which was when they went around every air, airport, um, major freeway in Techland and had just really simple ads that said, I don't know if the numbers are right, so please don't quote me on it. 10 out of 10 of the top e-commerce providers use Oracle. Yeah. 100 of the top Fortune 100 use It was the simplest message. It was crazy because it was verticalized yeah. Right. So like it wasn't just the Fortune 100. It was like I'm sure they had one up by like in the beltway on how many government companies. It was uh so I it, it's still it's so memorable to me. I never forgot it. And there's so much to learn now for like doing B2B, which is like, you know, uh account-based and ideal customer profile, highly targeted focus, verticalization. You know, you want to be able to be able to create a billboard that says, let's say if your top vertical is construction, 50 out of the top, you know, 50 construction companies use, you know, in, in my yeah. case, maybe Dusty, you know, Dusty Robotics. And, um, but you, you know what I mean? What do you think? Not a shameless that? plug. Not a shameless plug. By the way, but Judd, that, what do you think? I mean, did you ever see those, man? Like those were amazing. They were so simple. What I loved about it, though, because the way I think about it is they also were really good at taking advantage of what was playing at that time. Like everybody was following suit and we're seeing that that's diminishing, right? It's not about who uses who anymore. Now it's about, do you know the person? And can you ha go have a conversation? Like how much closer to the real deal can you get? It used to be, remember, let, let's talk Gartner and Forrester. It used to be if you got in a waiver quadrant, you didn't really have to do anything. It was game over. And now. It's not as it's not as cut as dry and dry. There's more players that people are looking at. There's uh, hyper focus use cases. Like things are changing, but why? I, I I swear, Oracle nailed it so perfectly at that point because that's what people were buying off of, and they owned it, and it worked. But when was the last time you saw an Oracle billboard? Well, yeah. how, how, how dare you throw that? punch in at the end i like that i like that yeah so that's a that, i don't know Jeb, but did you have like some messaging because matt and i really didn't deliver on any kind of twists from the last no, year. I, I i don't i don't know if there's a big twist that i could say there's one group that's really impressed me um out of everybody but what i have noticed is the messaging is changing the way that people are messaging the way that people it's so much more conversational even in in marketing now in general that I think we're we're starting to see the shift everywhere. All the companies are starting to pick up and kind of say, okay, it's all about the customer. How do we make it conversational? How do we make them feel like we care? Um, yeah. And the ones that really do, I think are rising to the top. 
the ones who actually built their businesses to care about their customers, not the ones who are like, oh, crap, it's that time. We have to pretend like we care. Uh, it's becoming more and more obvious. So that's just something that, I, that I've been picking up on in a different messaging that I'm seeing out there. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, in general, you're seeing B2B companies lean into more B2C centric messaging, which is all about the customer. Uh, and I think that plays really well. I think, you know, the 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 thing that uh, sort of was was the messaging du jour from from a few years ago was like always talking about outcomes, which, you know, hey, that's great, but it's always dependent upon every business. And if you can speak to how this actually improves your life as a user, I think that that works a lot better. Um, this is like the the you know, you, you can talk Simon Sinek and uh, start with why you can talk about like the uh, um, is does means methodology for how you do messaging. But like in general, like getting to the heart of what an actual person is doing and like what their day to day workflow is like and if it's challenging or if it's cumbersome or if it's tedious and addressing that seems to be messaging that's resonating really well. The thing that I don't like that I'm seeing a fair amount of is uh, the buy this to save money. Yeah, never works. It never, never works. Work. You do not spend your way into savings. It just, it doesn't work. I, I dude, oh my God. I mean, because I was a consultant in um, 2000. Remember, I mean, you guys, Matt was probably still playing football at UCLA, but like uh, the, uh, you so know, on on the team, but playing, we'll see. But like everyone tried that. I mean, it was like everyone pivoted to this, this uh, spend money to save money messaging. 2008, like that brief nuclear winter, people tried to do that. And guess what? Like that doesn't work. You don't see it in any consumer messaging. Well, I mean, you do, but it's cheaper. Like, and that's not, you know, but like in whenever folks do that, to me, it shows like uh, it's like it's a lack of understanding of the buyer, to be honest with you, because I'm sure if you ask them, what's the number one thing you're trying to do right now? It's like we're trying to cut back and save money. OK, great. But that doesn't mean you message to it. Right. Because at the end of the day, uh, uh, people buy to be uh, to kill pain and be bigger, better, stronger. And like, um, you know, the they don't spend money to save money and that messaging has never worked. I, I just don't, I just, I can't believe I, we're back in that. I, I don't think the model yet. works. It, it's the messaging because one, it's a misstatement because in truth, what a rip and replace won't have a cost. Yeah. We're no. going to replace your three systems. Yeah. We're going to change where your data flows. We're going to get, Oh yeah. It's going to be a year. Yeah. Yeah. By sure. the way, right? totally. You're dead on dude. Because like, that was a big one of the big things I learned at uh, Gardner and what talking to the enterprise was that like um, I realized that in many times that uh, from a tech marketing and sales perspective, it's not that we we just don't understand that they actually their first instinct is cost and human yeah. cost, resource cost. Like these things there, it's like it's exactly what Judd said. They don't buy it because, by the way, even when things were good, they were going through their head going, this is going to take 30 guys i gotta go get this through all these people they're so totally. yeah totally. and if your product if your product is simple to set up if your product is fast like you got to lean into that you got to oh, show it you gotta demonstrate it like if you're like hey we 
We've got a UI that connects this to this. It's just, boom, you point and click at it or you add your address to it. You're pushing it over here. You point and click to it. You're done. If you can't get to that either quickly on your website or in a demo, like no bueno. Because I think, I think for me, it's funny because this is a, a little bit of a topic of conversation internally at the company I work for. It's like, I avoid sales cycles because I think they're going to be long. They're going to be drawn out. Eventually, there's going to be some cross-functional nature to an implementation where I'm going to have to work with other people in the organization. I don't understand their workloads. I don't understand like what's on their priority queue. So it's like, hey, do I have to go to the engineering team in order to get this done? Do I have to go to the <laughs> team in order to get this done? Yes. Like those are things that freak me out about either spending money in a new category where I've never made a purchase before or, uh, you know, ripping and replacing something is like, what is the, what is the actual cost of this? How many people are going to be associated with it? And I think a lot of sales reps and marketing teams for that matter, only think about like, Hey, here's what it costs in a contract. They don't think about the total cost of ownership, the way a lot of consumer brands think about it. Yeah. Okay. This, this leads to a good question. Oh, uh, I will. So let's see. We'll, 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 we'll see. Uh, you, so you go three for three, but go ahead. We'll say, um, I mean, so, so really what we just said is there's no real calculated ROI, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's cheaper. Is it really, is the ROI calculator dead and do people, how are people now figuring out ROI? What do they trust? Yeah. So I think ROI, ROI calculators work with a caveat. The caveat is I've never used one to purchase software in the past ever before, but I think of them as like uh, like a lead gen tool, especially if it's like publicly facing and someone can utilize it to like do some calculations on your website. People are always impressed by these things. But I think the thing that's never included in a, in a ROI calculator is how many human beings are going to be associated with this project, what the cost of if you're ripping something out is, is going to, is going to be what the downtime, like the, the, um, the, the, the sort of digital transformation process in place around adoption and whatnot. So that that's the hard part is like, sure, this software costs this much. And, you know, we promise that we're going to give you a 30% increase in MQL to SQL. So you can then calculate the value uh, based upon what your average deal size is or whatever. So, you know, there's a there there to that. And I think in general, like if you're um, if you're like a practitioner and you're sort of trying to get a contract up to a CFO and you've never done that before, that stuff can help the buyer make the case internally. And I think that that's often why sales function would want the marketing team to build it. Uh, but like, you know, if you're building one, <laughs> you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, this $20,000 contract, this thing's going to save you $500,000 a year. I mean, the the value is just inherent. Like, need we say more? Let me issue you a contract immediately. And, and, and you just went to the point that I was trying to make is, I don't think anybody believes them. And who believes something that was built by the company that's trying to sell you to begin with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, Craig I, does, I but other than Craig. Everybody but Craig. Yeah. Wait, what? What? You believe in ROI calculators. You were telling I me mean, that. Yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about ROI calculators. And then we're going to the rumor mill, just just in case anybody cares. Oh, geez. You know, Judd, you've done, you've done an amazing job of, of finding gaps in the conversation and bringing questions. I'm going to give you credit for that. Oh, honestly, it was amazing. So first of all, are you serious, Matt? 
you think are you're the one of the best demand gen guys I know. You are. That's not to butter you up before I drop a bomb. Yeah. But like I but, but he's about to drop a bomb. Well, because I just I've never seen Matt put an ROI calculator as a demand gen device as his like thing. I, I just thought I, I'm I was surprised to hear that. Well, I like them for demand. I, I, <laughs> I like them, but I don't use them. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I like that I don't build. I mean, this house, for example, it's it's a fine home, but I wasn't responsible for building it. Uh, but no, I, but you live I, in it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. But but seriously, I'm going to start with that. I have more to it. But like, are you you would recommend to someone? Hey, dude, you should do an ROI calculator as an offer on your website. Here's what I would say is like, if you created one, it definitely wouldn't hurt you. And it would draw people in. And like, especially if you're in a category that people don't understand the value around, it's an easy way for you to sort of say, great, we're building you this thing. It's helping you send more sales emails, or it's helping you uh, attract more visitors to your website. Based upon what we think we can do for you, this is the expected ROI. And somebody who's probably mid to lower level can utilize that to go make a business case internally to, to buy something. Is it short-sighted? Of course. Is it cutting corners around what the real cost is? Yeah, of course. But it is a place where someone can have a conversation with your brand around the value without necessarily having to raise their hand and speak to a salesperson, which in general, people are almost always going to opt for. Okay. Quick though, because yeah. it's just a, a caveat there. So do you see it as Top of funnel, mid funnel, or late funnel? Top. Late funnel. Whoa. I, I knew this it, was going to be an interesting one because yeah. like, I, I think of it as like mid funnel. We got a late funnel <laughs> and, and top of. And I think that's the interesting part of a calculator, right? You can use it how you want, yeah. but is it, do you believe it? And that's where we've seen things like TI reports, you know, go to market partners, do one. There's a couple others. There's a lot of stuff coming out now where people are like, we will calculate it. And you have a third party val validated piece. Is it any different? No, but but well, first of all, in in the the research house sort of ROI pieces like go to market partners and the uh, Forrester and whatnot, those do tell stories too. It, yeah. it, it's uh it it reflects ROI, but it's in the form of a story and a use case. That's just a little bit different. But let me just go through that was that you threw me off a bit because I have the same. So one is. Uh, by the way, I'm going to start this with my favorite, one of my favorite quotes. So years ago, when I, before I uh, started uh, Topo, I was doing business with Lars Nilsson. We were like, you know, just partnering up on consulting. And we were, we got pitched this like automated ROI thing. And I hadn't done a briefing with Lars yet. And uh, I was surprised. The, the guy goes through the whole thing. He goes, okay, your feedback. And Lars basically said, this is terrible. Um but what he said was, so we both had done work years ago for this CRO who's like just old school, like incredible sound bites, often with profanity, insults, et cetera, just like dress you down type of guy. And he he quoted him. I'm not going to put him in the podcast for now, but Lars will laugh when I say that, you know, he used to say, basically, if you're talking about ROI, you're not high enough in the organization. Mm. And um and so let me start there because that's that's partially true. The the issue today is that the stakeholder map is much different than it was two years ago. 
You've got two things. Number one is the CFO and finance is like looking at $10,000 deals. Okay. Um, And number two is you have shadow stakeholders all over the place. So like you, you just have to have tools that nullify their objections. Here's the issue. Number one is your ROI calculator uh, is built for you to win. And they know that. So you guys, that's what you guys were saying before. Like for me, I tell salespeople, it's like, well, okay, hold on a sec. Like you, you know, you, you sales will get, will get really excited because someone's going to say, yes, I can't wait to buy. They say, well, whoa, like, is this going to go to finance? Is it great? What type of format template, et cetera, do they want to see to get for payback? Let's use that one. Okay. So that that's one thing. This is down the funnel, Judd, right down the yep. funnel. If you don't have one, I have one, but let's go through it and make it as custom to you. Because uh, the other thing that happens, I think with ROI models, you guys tell me this, but like um, it's so inside baseball, you're, you're going to lose with the finance guy anyway. So like, you you know, a lot of the stuff we we build in the ivory tower and it's like, they, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, like we have to win the deal. And sale, as you guys know, sales reps are losing deals at the end now a lot more than they ever did. And it's because of new stakeholders who need to see things. So I do think um, the ability to show payback under the uh, methodology that's used by the organization, it's critical, even if they don't ask for it, someone should in the sales team should help push for it. Marketing can help build it. I mean, you built an amazing one for one of my portfolio companies, Matt. I would argue that uh, was probably used uh, probably across the sales cycle because you uh, there was it was handling objections up front, middle and end. But when I looked at it, it was like it had all the elements that their finance team would be able to look at and go, yeah, these are, these look right. You and know, that's, and- that's where I think an ROI calculator can be most impactful in terms of winning deals is if you are so, if you're deep into a sales cycle, you have a true understanding of what your customer is doing, what they need, what their current circumstances are, et cetera. And you can input, input all of that data into an ROI calculator. And in the case of, 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 of that portfolio company, like these were all critical pieces because, you know, you're talking logistics, there's tons of moving parts, there's tons of static parts, there's human beings involved, et cetera. So getting to a real ROI, like on a static web page is really, really challenging. Like just nobody's inputting that much data uh, into, into an ROI calculator. And that's, and, and so one, you can have like this kind of loose one on your website that, you know, creates a little bit of engagement with your brand. But like for somebody to truly transact, you're going to need to be deep in a cycle, have a ton of understanding of that business, and then be able to quantify all of that and then spit some number back out to them. That seems realistic. And things like 400% ROI, just like if I see that, I'm just like, absolutely not. There's 0% chance that that's happening. So the other thing I would suggest to people is like, you know, we're marketers, we're hyperbolic by nature. But like, do not be hyperbolic with your with your ROI calculator. Like, if I'm seeing like a you know 50, 60 percent ROI, I'm like spectacular. Five hundred percent, anything with anything with two zeros in the end, I'm I'm like that's Skeptical. that's not yeah bullshit. Okay, so hold on. So let me just add, add on. That was well said. Although that's not what you said before. Before well, you I mean, said, huh? What did I say? You said it was a good demand gen. Yes. 
Yes, because it brings people in. They're like, if I'm looking at two different right. businesses, like I, but I'm not going to buy because of that. I'm yes. just getting understandably okay. value. Okay. All right. All right. It's just another great offer. I, I get it. I, I shouldn't have brought that back up because I was convinced when you earlier. Oh, okay. So, so wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. But the key here. Oh, the key. Here we go. We're going to have Matt Dixon on, you know, uh, who wrote Jolt Effect. And the whole book is essentially about the de-risking of the sales process. And what I would say, what Matt was describing is like a full life cycle de-risking, right? Because he was talking about if you're fast, tell them you're fast. If it's, if it's not hard to integrate, tell them. We and so everything we do needs to be to de-risk right now because there's so much risk. Okay. So for example, the ROI papers that you talked about, Judd, put them on the list. Like, okay, like what is that checklist of things that tell the buyer and his organization or her organization that uh the least amount of risk um is, you know, to, to reflect the least amount of risk. So things like something that proves out in detail how a company like theirs got ROI is just another de-risk thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's really important, like as we always, as we talk about marketing and sales today, what's the number one thing that we need to do? We need to de-risk de the living crap out of doing business with us. Yeah, and any type take we see it. It's, it's like that you know, again. Like Matt was saying, it's like you're fast or easy. Tell them. Make sure they know it. Bang it on the drum and show it to them. Right? Like it, it's like we're just trying to make sure that everything's uh, getting de-risked down the line. <laughs> I think like this. All of these topics uh, coalesce. Right? Like we're we have to be thinking about the life cycle and the areas where risk sort of pops its ugly head and, and what tools we can use to, in order to help there. So there, there, that's it. And I'm standing by it and I will leave Matt alone on his, um, ROI. So, so, so here's a good question, right? We build all of our messaging, all of our programs around a persona or an ICP. Why when they build an ROI calculator, do these things, are they not specifically built for, who you know you really need to sell to, which in most cases today are CFOs. Like they're dumbed down so that a, a different level person can understand them, but ultimately they're not really the user. They're not the person you're convincing. And I'm trying to figure out why everything else in business right now is moving towards persona, understanding pain, except we build products that are so wide and expansive that they don't make sense. Mm, so, yeah. I, and and look, we can go to the, product verse blah blah but i feel like if you just look at go to market on a whole that's a huge miss <laughs> bro did you just say we can go to the product verse what the hell was that product ver yeah. <laughs> actually that would be a great movie poster for product people uh i have a comment on that i by the way so far so good really good questions although what i would say here on this um uh is you're right. I mean, I wasn't sure. Was it was you know what I mean? Like it was almost a statement question. Uh, by the way, I do have, a, I love these anecdotes. These, all these anecdotes are my neighbor, Steve Stroud. He's like a, a CRO type. He was at Surf now for a long time. And he went to our, one of our dinners, Matt. I'm not sure you went to the one. It was in the city with the CROs. And uh, everyone was talking about how the CFO and finance is in all our deals. And, you know, he didn't really raise his hand, but when he was clearly, when he was coming home in the Uber, he texted me and goes, Craig, I just want you to know that 
for the lifetime of my selling, I always tell everyone that customer is the CFO. It's really interesting hmm. uh, yeah. way to think about it. Um, but uh, but I, I would I mean, argue, coming from service now, I would assume that's always the case. Yeah. Fair By the way, what I, I would argue something a little different. I actually think we do a good job on the product side for the user. I maybe you guys think I'm crazy, but like in, we're so product centric now um, that you know um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like the canvas of the world, like the, the, the users love them, right? Like the, what you're talking about, in my opinion, is um, uh, the the breadth and spread of the potential people in the buying process, the other stakeholders that we create personas for, and then we don't do anything about finance being one of them. Like we don't build the tools for them. It, it's part uh, that, but it's also part actual product. While certain users, let's say, love Canva, who do we sell it to? If you're making doing an enterprise deal, the users have nothing to do with it. And we're not building it for the, the the user at that point, right? You're you're building it honestly to sell it. I mean, how many products have you used that sucked for you, but worked for someone else in your organization? Happens all the time because you right, were yeah. not thought of in that process. And I just feel like that's right, gotten right. bigger, not smaller. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Canva's an interesting case study, right? Because like Canva... Canva is the, in my opinion, the antithesis of like what most MarTech is. It's lightweight. It's easy to use. It walks you through very simple use cases and gets you started very fast. And I was having a conversation with somebody uh, who's very, very well-established uh, CMO. And we were talking about, you know, the differences between modern MarTech and Canva and why Canva's grown so fast. It's just so easy. It's so lightweight solving a simple problem. And I think in general, what we get to with a lot of MarTech specific, overblown, so many use cases, tricky UI, and a lot of cases, UIs that were built a long time ago, so they don't feel very modern. And Canva just came to market with a kick-ass product that got so much adoption. They really had more of like a B2C motion in general and took a real bottoms-up approach to selling. So in a lot of cases, for their enterprise deals and what they've done very effectively is looked at how many people within an organization are utilizing this product and then gone directly to a CFO or a COO and said, hey, Mr. or Mrs. CFO, COO, did you know that you've got like 500 people in your company utilizing this and they're all charging their corporate accounts for it? And I'll tell you what, I'll just sell you an enterprise license and save you 30% right off the top. And it's like, boom. Game yeah. over. But but Matt, would you, I'm going to just, so it seems like, uh, okay, let me go back to my original point. I'm going to bring it back to you, which is, um, so generally, Judd, I totally agree with you, except I don't know that there's that many products that didn't serve one persona, the user persona in today's world, right? That wasn't something built for them like the winner in that market likely really understood that persona now i know where you're headed like there's some heavyweight sort of artillery marketing tech that is that that may or may not make you know make some of the make sort of the check boxes that you just described but if you took over the last couple of years we do have to admit that like the product people generally speaking 
have been pretty good when they have the opportunity to beat the living crap out of one persona. They mm -hmm. think about, like you said, the UI, the ease of use, like what is their life like? That's just the one thing I would say. Everything else is right because the, the issue is, is there's 12 stakeholders in the buying map um, and like, how do we serve them? But general, I mean, do you, would you guys, I mean, wouldn't you say that like a lot of the products that really took off, right, uh, generally served, well, I'm going to take myself back, I guess in security, they serve a major use case, not a person. Not a person. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 I mean, even right. what would Zoom use case it, it, like Zoom? It's use case driven. You know, it's not really serving a specific person. It's probably one of the outliers that works pretty well across the users, no matter who they are. I mean, but it wasn't designed. It wasn't designed for everybody. Not designed for well, but it here, was designed right. for people at first. But but I think that this is also a very interesting shift where what you brought up, Matt, like we're going more towards business that is, as we, you know, we'll say it, human to human. B2B yeah. is going more, it's more B2C. I mean, even yeah. PLG being a huge go-to-market motion, and even the hybridization of that where you bring in sales, it's still so B2C focused or yeah. really focused, customer, like we're people building for people. I think that that's the big trend that's just going to continue. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know what the next movement of it is, but we shall see. Because even Canva, if you think about it, the motion they use is one that's been around forever, right? You go bottom up. Eventually, you get enough artillery. There's enough people using. You go walk in with your enterprise guy and you close the deal. Um, been around forever. So, yeah. so maybe one but, of the things that they did very differently that most people. Uh, did not do or are don't have the the sort of the instrumentation to do is they store all their data in I think Snowflake some cloud data warehouse I'm pretty sure they're a Snowflake customer Probably. and they were able to pull all that data very effectively into their marketing tools and into their CRM so they have visibility into let's say your Salesforce and there's a thousand people at Salesforce all utilizing Canva. They were able to see that very clearly and they built a very streamlined process for it. So much so that like when I joined my new company, like in my account, it was like, hey, did you know that like you, there's a there's a enterprise license at at your business that you can sign into? So like they do it very brilliantly. I think in practice, you would or like in, in, in sort of if you were whiteboarding it, you would say, of course, that's the right way to do it. But there's massive challenges on actually being able to detect who is and who isn't a customer all within an organization. And one of the smartest things that I heard, and it sort of it dovetails into this story, is I was having a conversation with everybody's favorite account-based marketer, John Miller. And he was saying, ABM is like the goal of ABM is not necessarily just to close a customer, but it's to get an enterprise license agreement into an organization. And I think you can also do that with PLG if you're if you have the right instrumentation there. And that is to me that is the the in a lot of ways I think the future of products that are built for a very specific segment to go bottoms up and get a bunch of users in an organization and then be able to then tell a real ROI story to a COO or to a CFO and say Hey, did you know if you wrapped all these users in an enterprise license, we can save you 20%, give you a customer success team, hold QBRs for you, do training for you, et cetera. But because you have all these individual users and they're all charging their Brex accounts on this, like 
you're paying, you know, significantly more and getting significantly less value. Easy use case. Yeah. But, but strong yeah. move. I, I think that's good. I, and I actually, I think of what I'm realizing is something I already knew. So I'm just going to say something, which is no, but like bottoms up work, it depends on the persona. So I think we would all agree with that. Like, sure. You bottoms up with develop DevOps, you almost have to. Have to. Have to. You can't bottoms up in security. It, well, I guess like a malware, it's like, I guess they, they, they maybe they, if there's some kind of Circle CI. Certain, yeah. certain tools. I mean, it depends on how it but, plugs. But, but it just, it, it depends on whether you can go uh, bottom up or, or top down. And I'm not, have no idea why I just brought that up, but Is, I did. Hey, it, well, okay. Then, then since you don't know, I'll, I'll take it from here and say, so I heard Matt say something that I'm going to question that the gold standard. Thank God, Jesus, man. I felt like, I mean, yeah. I'm just about to bring We've back. we got to question this guy. Um, but, but okay, we, we'll, we'll take John Miller out of the equation. But is enterprise the gold standard? Because I keep seeing everybody run at it like they always have. And I don't know if it's as good as it used to be. I don't know if it's as valuable as it used to be. You know, everybody still wants to be a whale hunter. And there's so much more business mid-market and, and SMB. Now, great, you know, but can you and do, maybe we have an example, of a product that serves SMB to the point that it is like a, a Salesforce. Like I can't get rid of it. Upspot. But um, yeah, I mean, interesting take. Like I love marketing to the enterprise in general. Like that, I, that's my favorite. I love a field motion. I That's what I love. Uh, I will say that has always been, well, I think in general, it's been, hey, if you can sell into the enterprise and you have a truly great product and like it sort of forces your hand around a lot of product level enhancements that you have to have in order to be able to sell because just the procurement process is so challenging and there's so many eyeballs on it. So if you've built like a truly world-class product, you can sell it there. Now, the question is, is like, does that necessarily mean the functionality is better or does it have like just an admin console and like it's super secure and you know it keeps you out of scope for for any compliance issues etc like that's actually what goes into a lot of products that make them truly enterprise but i would say like i mean i you know worked at marketo have been a long time marketo user using hubspot now totally great product perfect for where we are in our journey and i i you know i'll i'll give you like my first real hot take, I guess, of this, uh, of today's podcast is just, I think email marketing is not as valuable as it used to be by a long stretch. And like, do you really need the Ferrari or Cadillac Escalade of email marketing tools right now when HubSpot is a great UI, super easy to use, and will give you about 80% of the functionality of a Marketo? Yeah. And, and, oh, that, ease of use, ease of use. Like, come yeah. on, you got to be a developer to use. Which one? Wow, Judd, look how animated Judd got. Jeez, man. And when you've, you've played in these suites for long enough, you're just like, there's so, there's almost like that visceral effect. You're like, you know, like, we were like, I've been there, done that. Yeah. I think we should add that to the list for next time to talk about because it is part of the overall playbook change uh, is the uh, effectiveness of email marketing and um, and, and other sort of things. So I, I, I think that was a good... Hot take, although I would push back on Matt. I think you've had multiple hot takes throughout this. I'm surprised you would uh, demean the quality of content that you provided here today. Uh, well, 
the hot take you delivered was with a buzzer beater, like with time, 10 minutes left on the clock. Well, I would, I mean, Marketo is what made my career and I'm always very grateful for it. I've used it many times. I think it's an awesome tool, but I just think like inboxes are over flooded and the saturation of email tools in general. And like, you could talk about, you know, platforms like sales Loft and outreach too, that I've, I've, I've used in my past, which are great, but they are yet another delivery device into an inbox. And then all the litany of CS tools that will send emails to people. I mean, it's just a crowded house and it's like, I don't want to spend my time there. And obviously Marketo does a whole lot more than just send emails, certainly. Uh, but like, that's what it's known for, right? And I just, it's very hard to demand Jen your way to success via email marketing right now. Yes, huh. and Adobe, Adobe has pretty much killed Marketo anyway. So moving on. Yep, I said it. You went hot take over the top. Oh, hells yeah. So let, let's close out, though, with the rumor mill. Oh, okay, cool. So I've been hearing lots of interesting stuff, and it's a hot topic for me in general because I've been calling for this probably for the last, like, year. Consolidation. Uh, there are too many players in too many spaces that we have not seen consolidation occur. None of the big players are coming over the top and dragging them in. Um, let, let's start with, what space needs consolidation more than any other right now? In the world of go-to-market? In any world that you feel fit to, to talk about. Okay. I think we have too many planets. I was happy to see Pluto go. So, I mean, Neptune is clearly next. Obviously, obviously. We don't, we don't need more planets. More moons, more moons. But, but, so... Uh, I would just say, well, first, I, I'm not saying that um, your take is wrong because every market consolidates. So like with all due respect, you will have your self-fulfilling prophecy on that prediction at some point. They all. <laughs> oh, they, they all do. What, well, my, mine I is. Do think, to, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say mine around a couple specific spaces. I just didn't want to be the first to throw them out. Yeah. Well, but, but, and, and I remember this, like, um, when marketing automation, there was like eight vendors and these just like, in my opinion, like just in intellectually soft people were calling that the market would consolidate. It's like, yeah, dummy. Like there's barely enough room for two. If you think about marketing automation, by the way, has done really well, but it's not, it's still not a trillion dollar. I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's a big business in terms of the value of the customer bases there, but it's, you know, anyway, it was like, of course, like, so, uh, so there's way too much. So to your point, Jed, there's way too much sales tech more. I mean, you know, you see the brinker slides or whatever, and you see that, but people are talking about consolidation for a while. And it seems like there was more consolidation when times were good and people had access to 0% interest rates. So even though we knew there's, there are people that are on the, there are organizations on the ropes right now, yep. uh, but we're not seeing a ton of consolidation because the buyer has to be feeling good too. Um, and I think that's it, but we do. So to your point, anyway, that was just my, I don't know, even know why I said that. Hot take. There will be, I mean, I'm hearing the rumors too. They'll, they'll be, uh, uh, some big consolidation um, in the sales tech space. It's actually and and um, uh, and it'll it won't be picking up little guy. I mean, it'll 
be a merger of not of equals, but of fairly successful organizations and um, uh, allowing that combined organization to, you know, hopefully deliver on, you know, sort of not, it, it's actually, I, when I think about the consolidation, it's, I, it's actually not, I, I, this is going to sound weird. So help me fight through this. It's not about the extra functionality. It's often about like the, the natural sort of flow of experiences. I feel like the stuff that we're hearing about right now, which are, I'm not sure we're talking about right now, but we are talking about right now, it uh, makes total sense to me. Like all of them that I've heard uh, makes total sense. Like the sales engagement platforms keep adding stuff, yet there's a market of vendors that have already added the stuff. So like, totally. you know, so yeah, you you should come together, right? And especially if the what Matt was describing, I forget what you call it, like the delivery mechanism or something yeah. like that. Like that, you know, those things go together. But I don't foresee much, Judd, in marketing. Do you? I think it's sales tech. Is it? I, I think so. I, I well, one that I can't wait to see what happens, and I think we've seen already some interesting things. No big plays, but obviously all the ABM platforms. I think that there's going to be some type of either consolidation or acquisition that's going to change that significantly. And my guess would be in the next 18 months. Um, you heard it here first. No. Um, and secondarily, I think that the other space that is on the cusp, I don't think it's quite there, but I think it's coming pretty quickly is all the CS platforms. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Good one. Damn it, yeah. yeah. There's a bunch now. There's, there's like, if you go to G2 and just plug it in, I mean, there's like 20 that'll come up that are all rated pretty well, but where are they in their, in their growth stage? What kind of integrations are they having? Who are they serving? Are we going to see some of these little ones that may serve a specific niche get eaten up by the bigger guys? I mean, there's been one major player for quite some time. And I think yeah. that now we're seeing them actually lose traction and lose uh, a lot of it right now. Um, you know, at least the data that I've seen, there's at least one to two other players are actually growing faster than them. Mm. Mm. It's a space that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I spend most of my time thinking about MarTech and sales tech. You know, for a long time, I thought for sure when Gong was first getting rolling uh, and chorus that uh, sales loft and outreach would just naturally acquire them. Then they got bigger than the, the valuation of those two companies combined. And I thought for sure that they would acquire one or the other. And the reality is, is to Craig's point, they just keep building the same functionality. So like, you know, Gong starts off with a call recording. Now you can send emails through it. Uh, outreach and sales ops start off as an email tool. Now you can record calls through it. So like, you know, they, it's interesting. It, it seems like now it doesn't make sense uh for for them to to merge although you know that space definitely feels like it's softened as there's been a significant amount of layoffs so there's potential for it there i think there's a couple other vendors in that space who have like really great product that um has just not you know whether from you know the, their their ability to 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 spend money on marketing for awareness just hasn't gotten there but like there's killer product that like exists in a level below uh, the visibility of a, of a sales loft and and an outreach that I think would make a great acquisition for for certain companies. Um, 
But I mean, in the ABM space, we we saw a fair amount of consolidation pre-pandemic, you know, demand base acquiring Engageo, um, Sixth Sense acquiring uh, a whole slew of different vendors uh, that were on the smaller side, but like packed a huge punch. I think that they've done a great job of acquisition. The other company that I think has done a great job of acquisition is, is Zoom Info. I mean, they've basically swallowed all data providers uh, for the most part, you know, with, with, with Dun & Bradstreet yeah. being one exception. Uh, I was, you know, I benefited from one of those uh, at one point in my career. Um, so, so it'll be interesting. Will, you know, will Zoom Info seek to acquire a, uh, marketing automation platform, you know, they've, they've sort of dabbled with building one of their own, but I think that that, that could be interesting. Uh, you know, the promise that sale, uh, that Salesforce had for years of, Hey, we'll have the CRM and we'll populate it with, uh, with the relevant contacts for you that sort of never materialized from a, a slew of acquisitions they made. I think at some point someone will solve that reality and that will be, you know, that will cure a lot of headaches. So Jeff, you uh, are. Your One predictions thought. on the paper, but your predictions on paper in the next 18 months, I think. And what I will say is uh, I made fun. I sort of said, you're going to have a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was trying to find a way to rip you and make it funny. It didn't sound funny. It sounded actually meaner than I meant. I did not mean it that way, but you will be, your self-fulfilling prophecy will come sooner rather than later. But what Matt said is important, which is it was when the money was flowing that the acquisitions were happening. Um, I, I, although I, that, I could, could you guys see, and we'll end with this because I know we're at time. Could you see Zoom Info six cents? I'm not going to comment on that one. Oh, I'll comment on it. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think Henry's done a tremendous job of, of acquiring businesses that, that benefit their install base. Uh, you know, acquisitions that they've made have been very strategic. It's, it's where they feel either threatened by, by somebody in the market so they can just basically stomp them out of existence or where they're like, yes, this would be natural for our sales reps to go in and sell this to our install base. And they've done a brilliant job of that on the execution side as they brought in these acquisitions. Uh, um, so a hundred percent. And it honestly, like that kind of feels like a match made in heaven. Uh, I, you know, I don't understand like the, the, the structure of Sixth Sense at this point, just given that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're largely owned by private equity. Uh, but yeah, that, that seems like a natural fit. Cool. Well, guys, you can, I mean, you guys know I'm a demand-based guy. So I know, I know. I, well, I would have said demand-based, but I knew you couldn't say anything about that either. So um, <laughs> guys, this has been a fun conversation. Look, uh, everybody, if you like this, there's more, and we're going to bring in some other crazies to uh, get some hot takes, talk about all kinds of fun stuff. Make sure you show up next time. It'll be even more fun and we will see you guys soon. Thanks for being here. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.